I don't know if you think about this kind of stuff like I do, but I was thinking as these men came up to take up the offering, how grateful I am to get to be a part of this church. Or on a day like today, we have more rubber boots on than dress shoes. And, uh, you know, not, there's not a lot of places that can talk like that, but just the fact that uh, I get to be amongst people that I can relate with and uh, people that uh, kind of just, it's an, a great blessing to be able to be a part of this faith family. Appreciate you, Greg, and those that help him and uh, help lead us in worship. One of these days, I'm convinced Simon's going to break loose back here. Um, I felt like he was getting close earlier, but I thought he's just getting ready to break out in a you know, solo like you see on the Garth Brooks concerts years and years ago, but I, I keep waiting for it. it. It'll be here someday when the Spirit leads, right, brother? When the Spirit leads. So, appreciate you all being here this morning for the men taking up the offering. I hope you have a Bible with you, and if you do, I want you to take it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, whether it's an electronic copy or maybe a physical copy, hopefully you have, hopefully you have with you this morning. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to continue. We've been walking through this letter um, of Paul writing to the church there at Ephesus. And so we've been walking through this together as a church. And so we're just continuing on walking verse by verse through um, this letter of Paul to the church there at Ephesus. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 and we're going to start in verse 10. And if you came in um, and got one of these collector edition bulletins on the back of that, there'll be some notes that if you want to use during our time together, in the word of the morning that will be there and um, that thing is swinging back and forth which is why the words are going back and forth and so I don't know about you but I was I had never noticed it before until I was sitting right there singing or singing with Greg and that the screen was going like that and I thought boy I bet you that jacks with people so if it does then just look down and uh, I'll tell you where the blanks are when you come to them so Ephesians chapter 6 I'm going to start in verse 10 and read into your hearing verse 10 11 and 12 and then we will um, get started this morning This is what Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. It was back in 2003, April of 2003, the 3rd Infantry Division alongside of the 1st Marine Division um, left Kuwait and invaded Iraq. Um, probably many of us in this room remember back to that time. Um, some of us may have different feelings on it, but 3rd ID moved in there. And within a matter of just a couple of short weeks, they had moved all the way from Kuwait City or the northern part of Kuwait all the way up and had captured Baghdad. But of course, as you can imagine, with any kind of a, a military campaign, there's the, the supply is crucial. 238th Transportation Company, which I was a part of, we were there. And within a couple of weeks of 3rd ID moving imp into Baghdad, we 
moved about halfway between Kuwait City and Baghdad in a place that we call affectionately Camp Cedar. And there from Camp Cedar, our mission was to supply fuel to everything from Baghdad south in Iraq. And so we ran fuel missions all over the southern part of Iraq, making sure Humvees, generators, helicopters, whatever needed to, whatever needed to run could run on the fuel. And one of the things we would do quite often was is that we would haul fuel from Kuwait City or a, a different location and we'd haul it to Baghdad. Most of the times we'd run in convoys about 20 trucks at some almost 100,000 gallons of fuel and we'd be hauling these things back and forth. And it was common at least once a week if not more that you would make a trip into Baghdad. Well, within a month of the conflict starting, the routes were relatively safe. Resistance was very little and so you began to become complacent and you would drive those routes and you'd driven those routes so often that you were just comfortable. You knew where you were going to go and everything was ho-hum. You had a routine. And our routine when we got to Baghdad and specifically Baghdad International Airport, you were going on to an Air Force base. And when you go to an Air Force base, it's different than military army installation. They just have a whole different caliber and a, a whole different category of comfort. They have what they call a, a BX, which is pretty much their version of a Walmart. And then at their BXs, they had the original food trailers. And they had Robin Hood, and they had Burger King, and they had Nathan's Hot Dogs. And so you would pull in there to Baghdad, you would get there on that Air Force installation, and you could go do your shopping and get something to eat. I mean, it was just a wonderful, glorious time. So you wanted to be on that mission going into Baghdad. So one such day, we're making our way. And we're about 30 miles out and it begins to get into the suburbs of the area. Big paved roadway. I mean just a humongous interstate system if you will. And we're driving along and I'm just thinking Nathan's, Burger King, Pizza Hut. What's the first thing I'm going to get when I get there? What do I need to go to the BX and get? What am I going to do here? And, and you're making all of these ideas in your head. And as we're driving there in to Baghdad, we saw some tanks. We're like, well, that's kind of interesting. We're just truck drivers. We don't get to play with tanks. That's, that's kind of cool. And there were six of them. Six M1 Abrams tanks. Now, if you're not very up-to-date in your armament, M1 Abrams is the best of the best. It is the most lethal, the fastest, the most deadliest, the top tank in the world of tanks is the M1 Abrams. And there were six of them that are sitting there on the side of the road. And as our convoy approaches their position, two of them pull out in front of us. Two of them get on either side of the convoy. One gets in the middle of our convoy and one gets in the rear. And for the next 25 miles, they escort us to the perimeter of the security perimeter there at Baghdad. Now, you might be thinking like I was thinking. Why? <laughs> why, after all of these times, why? No one would ever tell me. To this day, I have no understanding of why we had the escort. There was a second time when we had Apache helicopters coming in, but no one would ever explain. The only reason they would give me is because there was some type of report of a suspicion of enemy activity that necessitated us taking care of our 100,000 gallons of fuel. 
The reason why we had the escort, the reason why we were there, the reason that I was given, the only reason that I was given was because of the enemy. Now when Paul comes in to this letter here in Ephesians chapter 6, he is going to redirect the attention of the listener, the hearer, and the reader, and the church back to the enemy. He has been talking about the home. He's been talking about marriage. He's been talking about service. He's been talking about all these things that we are to do. But before he ends this letter, he is going to remind them about the enemy. Because too often we can grow complacent. We can misjudge the enemy. And we start to think that the battle is over. And Paul is going to remind us the battle isn't over. And brothers and sisters, we are here this morning as we are all gathered in this room, whether we're in person or watching via the computer or we're listening online later at a time, um, later down the road, we need to understand that there is still an enemy around us. My question for you this morning is, do you know the face or the name of your enemy? So many times we can get lulled into this idea that we're living in this American dream or we're living in this reality and we stop thinking about the constant spiritual battles that are taking place all around us. We were talking in Sunday school just a few moments ago about why we see such a large disconnect between the generations of being in church and not being in church. Why do we see such a great disconnect within our communities around us where we once saw vibrant churches and growing churches and vibrant people and now we see plateaued churches or declining churches. I was listening to a message just uh, two days ago about uh, down there in Southwestern Seminary and, and, and the preacher was asking the question, why do we expect to get the same results or better results while we're putting in less effort and less time into the equation. And the question was, is how in the world can we come together here and think the same old, same old is going to get different or better results? Many times it's the effect of the battle that we're facing. Many times it's because we have begun to underestimate and misjudge and become naive to exactly what we're doing in this life that we're living today. So Paul is going to come in here in these three verses that I read into your hearing earlier. He's going to come in and he's going to give them four reminders that he wants them to keep in their mind when they begin to face the enemy. Maybe an enemy that you don't see today, maybe an enemy that you don't aware that is there today, but every single one of us, if we're going to live a faithful Christian life, if we're going to follow after Jesus Christ, and if we're going to do everything that we can to not live a life that points to us, but as Haley sang earlier, to live a life that points to Jesus, we're going to face a battle. So when that battle comes, he wants to, he, Paul wants us to remember four things. And the first thing is this, is the place of security. Notice there in verse 10, he says, finally. So he's going to end this up. You know those preachers that always try to say, oh, well, I'm going to land the plane, or I'm going to end this thing. And then 15 minutes later, they are still going strong. My, I didn't know she was going to be here this morning. My mother's like that. She'll say, oh, just a few more minutes, and then she'll keep on uh, going for another 30 or 40. And so it's one of those things that he's going to end this. He's, going to, he's coming this to a close, but he says, finally. But he wants them to understand that just because he's been talking about all these things, there's still something he wants to leave them with. 
So he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. He is talking to the believer about their place of security. There in Ephesus, you had all kinds of pagan worship. You had all kinds of idolatry. There were those that didn't like the Christians. They didn't like the believers. They didn't like what it was doing to their way of life. They didn't like what they were doing to their economy. They didn't like what it was doing to their traditions and to all the things they did. And they were antagonistic. They were hostile towards the believers and towards the Christians. And so Paul says, I want you to understand Your place of security is not in yourself, but it's in the Lord. He says there in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. It doesn't come directly from the text, but I've heard it so many times. The safest place for you and I to be is in the middle of God's will. It may not be the most comfortable place. It may not be the most enjoyable place. The safest place for us to be is in the middle of God's will. What does that mean if I am impoverished, Spence? As long as you're in the middle of God's will, it's the safest place for you to be. So many times we start to think, well, you know what? God's will isn't really fitting out for me. I'm going to go find my own will. I'm going to go do my own thing. God promised me peace and prosperity. But he didn't promise you money and comfort. And your definition of prosperity might be different than Jesus' definition of prosperity. So many times we forget that the safest place for us to be in the middle of God's will. So he says there in verse 10, be strong and the Lord and in the strength of his mind. In verse 11 he goes on, he says, put on the whole armor of God. He wants you and I to know that the greatest place of our security is behind the armor of God. And we're going to go on, Lord willing, in the, in the next couple of weeks talking about this armor of God and talking about how we put on this armor of God and these, it harkens us back to vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools. But he's going to talk about this armor later on in the text but for right now he reminds us that when it comes to this Christian life we're not to go out under our own ability our own power he has given us a protection for you young people he's given you protection called your parents called your teachers and I was there I know right now they don't know anything and you know everything But it could just be that they have lived longer than you and they might have another idea besides you. And sometimes God puts those there, puts us behind the wisdom and he puts us behind the instruction. He puts us behind the encouragement. He puts us behind the conviction of the other people around us and he puts us behind the armor of God. So he says, if you want to be secure in this life, if you want to know that you are guarding the faith, if you want to know where is the safest place for you to be, make sure you know that it's behind the armor of God. It's not in front of God. How many times do we try to get in front of God? God, I don't like the way you you're going. God, you're not going fast enough. God, I don't like where you're turning. And so we think that we're going to get in front of God. And the next thing you know, we find ourselves getting in front of God flat on our face. So he says right there in the text, he says, be strong in the Lord. In, but put on the whole armor of God. Why? Well, he tells you there at the last part of verse 11. So that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because by having the armor of God, by being in the place of security, you're enabled to stand against the enemy's schemes. Now he's going to use a word here and he's going to talk about standing. Now standing is not the same thing as sitting. 
Standing is not the same thing as running. Standing is not the same thing as sleeping. Standing is not the same thing as slouching. When you stand, he's using this as a metaphor. He's using this as an imagery to say that whenever you are standing in the armor of God, behind the armor of God, empowered by God, you can stand erect. You can stand tall. You can stand in faithfulness regardless of what comes at you. How many Christians do we know? They put on the face and then the sickness comes and they've lost their faith. How many Christians we know they put on the face and tragedy comes and they've lost their faith. How many Christians we know they, they come to church and they put on the show, they put on the scene until some, some trial starts at work. Some obstacle is placed before them by the enemy. How many times do we have people that are not enabled to stand because they never put on the armor of God? They never knew that the greatest place that they could be was right in the middle of God's will. You'll have people from time to time that will say, well, Spence, how do I know God's will? Is it an audible voice? Do you get it in the mail? Is it an email? Is it a text? Is it a snap? Is it a TikTok? Is it a tweet? Is it a gram post? How do we know God's will? Read God's word. Read God's word. This isn't rocket science. This isn't something that is cryptic. It's not something that, 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 that only certain people have the answer to. It's not something that is a mystery. Read God's word. Because Paul also realized not just that we need to remember the place of our security, but we also need to remember the source of our security. The source of our security. He talks about the source of our security right back there in verse 10 and 11. He makes a couple of statements. He says, finally be strong in the Lord. And then he goes on there in verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God. What Paul is reminding us this morning is it's not by money, possessions, or success. It's not by fame or education or experience. Our source of security is only in the Lord and by the power of God. That is the only source of security that we have. We have people today that think, I'm going to get a vaccine. If you get a vaccine, great. There's people that can get vaccinated and still go to hell. I'm going to quarantine. You can quarantine and still die and go to hell. I'm going to put these prophylactics and I'm going to get on the vitamin D and I'm going to get on the hydrochloroquine and I'm going to get on this and I'm going to get on that. And you can do all that and you can still and die and go to hell. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much ivermectin you inject in yourself. It doesn't matter about all of your tricks or all of your ideas. And none of that matters if you do not have your source of security squarely in the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your security is worthless. Paul wants to remind them that when it comes to the battle, their ideas of security are worthless. Their ideas that they think that they're going to take care of themselves, or they think they can handle themselves, or they think they can do it themselves, it's worthless. I don't know if you can remember this, or maybe even if you can relate to this, but right now we're in the stage with Ezra where he can do everything. And, and you, know, you put this hooded sweatshirt on this little boy, and it comes down to the evening time, and you go to take the hooded sweatshirt off, and that, that boy says, no, no, I can do it. And he starts getting that hooded sweatshirt off, and he gets the, the bottom of the sweatshirt about right here. And he 
got his arms in a bind. He can't pull up anymore. And he's doing a little Chinaman look. And, he, and he, 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 he's having a hard time navigating something. And he, he finally says, help. <laughs> now in my world, I just let him be. He got himself there and get himself out of there. But the reason why he has a mother besides a father is the mother is a little more nurturing. And the mother swoops in and says, oh, I'll take care of you. And boy, she helps him out of the fix that he's in. And it's like, oh, did you learn your lesson? No. Because in the very next time, what is he doing? I got it. And he finds himself in the same spot. How many times in our lives does God come along and pull us out of the fix we're in only for us to look at God and say, I got this and go put ourselves in the same fix. And Paul is, is reminding us this morning that we are in a battle. We are in a battle for the spiritual positions. We're in the battle for the spiritual souls. We're in the battle. He's going to talk about the enemy in a few moments. But he's reminding us that we're in a battle. And when we think about this battle that is coming, we need to know where the place of security is at. We need to know the source of security. Because so many times we can misunderstand where we need to be in this fight. But you know it's the last part of verse 11. He talks about the schemes of the devil. I think one of the reasons why he talks about the schemes is because Satan is not God, which means he's not omnipresent, which means he's not omnipotent, and he's not omniscient. All those are character attributes that refer to God. Either God is everywhere at all times, God is all-powerful, there's not anything more powerful than God, and that God knows everything. Satan doesn't have any of those. So what does Satan have? Satan has influence. And he has temptation. And he has desires. And he has a whole toolbox of carrots on the stick that he will dangle in front of you you and I to get us to do what he wants to do. Paul talks about it here in the text as being the schemes of the devil. Now, unfortunately, we live in a day and age that people start to think, well, I'm immune from the schemes of the devil. And I want to tell you this morning that there is not a single one of us in this room that is immune from Satan's schemes. Not a single one of us. Do you think about Adam and Eve? They were in the garden. They were naked. They were sinless. They had a perfect standing and relationship with God. They had everything they needed. All they had to do was just sit there and do the one thing that God told them to do. And Satan found their weakness. And if he can find their weakness, he can find yours. Well, Spence, I don't have a weakness. Everybody has a weakness. If you don't know your weakness, ask your kids. Or your spouse. So he talks about this third idea. He talks about the face of the enemy. He says at the last part of verse 12, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Then he goes on in verse 12 to talk about these schemes of the devil. And he's going to talk about primarily the face of the enemy. He says there in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, this battle that we are engaged in, it's not personal or physical. You may say, well, Spence, spiritual warfare, the attacks of Satan, it does affect me personally. It does affect me physically. And I agree with you. What I mean by this is that the ideas of the battles that we're fighting, they are not physical. They are not personal because if they were, then we could just beat him up. We could just get enough guys over here and we could just go knock on Satan's door and say, Satan, we're here to put you down. John Wayne style. 
We're here to take care of you. If it was personal or as physical, we could do something about it. But rather what Paul uses here, he uses a phrase there in the original language when he talks about, for we do not wrestle. He's using a word there that we translate as wrestle that harkens the readers back to a common sport that took place there in Ephesus during that time. He, the word he uses for wrestle goes back to this idea of a, of a competition they would have. This was way back before you had WWE, WWF. This is way back before you had MMA. This is way back before you had high school wrestling or collegiate wrestling. This goes back to the days where people would get into a ring and they would say, we are going to wrestle. And the idea, the way that you won was that you were to hold your opponent down with your hand on their neck for a certain count. You may say, well, Spence, that sounds familiar to what we do today. But they had stakes. So if you go to the McConnell household and you're going to sit and play a game, most likely stakes are going to come up. What happens to the loser and what does the winner get? It wasn't an original thing with the McConnells. The Greeks were doing it thousands of years ago. So in this particular type of wrestling event, the loser would have his eyes gouged out. That's not just... You lose a little money. That's not just you lose your belt. It's not just a matter of you, you, you lose a little respect. When you're going to get in a wrestling ring and I know that I'm going to get against this opponent and I know whoever, whichever one of us loses, that uh, the loser is going to be blind for the rest of his life. You talk about the stakes. You talk about the motivation. You talk about the willingness to do your best. Well, these kind of games would take place there in Ephesus and around the, the Roman Empire there. There was kind of a, a blood sport, if you will. And so Paul hearkens the listener, he hearkens the reader back to this imagery to show the gravity of what we are facing. See, so many times when we read the words where we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, we talk about getting down and wrestling on the floor with the kids. We talk about something that is innocent, something that doesn't have any consequences. But what Paul wants you and I to understand is that this battle that we're in, it's not just wrestling with our own physical self or the, the, or the personal things that we have around us. This wrestling, it is ideological. It is philosophical. It is theological. Notice he says in the text, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but... And then he gives us a list. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now some people may come to this text and they may say, well, what is he talking about when he talks about rulers? It's just what he says, rulers. You mean is he talking about our government? Yes, he is saying there is a spiritual battle going on right now in our government. There's a spiritual battle going on right now amongst those who we are to be subjected to. Romans 13 kind of pictured those officials, those governing bodies, those authorities that are in our lives. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place. But isn't all government good? All government can be somewhat good. But you consider the situation we're in today. What is celebrated today was condemned a generation ago. What is being condemned today was celebrated a generation ago. And if you don't celebrate today, then you will be condemned. And we're going to go back and we're going to find and pick apart people that if you do not agree, there is no such thing as tolerance. Tolerance. 
Either you agree with me or I will bring, bear, bring to bear pressure and weight upon you so that you will then be forced to agree with me. I'm not trying to be a date setter. I'm not trying to claim it, name it, and claim it. But we need to be aware that there could be a time coming when the state comes and says, you know what, we cannot necessarily, we're not going to fight the battle of closing the doors of the church, but you know what we will do? We will address your tax status. We will address the minister's tax status. You may say, well, they can't do that, Spence. Just think about what they're doing right now in churches just in the United States. Grace Community Fellowship, John MacArthur's church out in California. There was one period of time that they were fining them over $1,000 every single week. And I'm not talking about finding the church. They were fining Pastor John MacArthur himself, holding him in contempt, fining him at least $1,000 every single week that he got up to preach. <clears throat> While the dispensaries and the liquor stores and the places of ill repute were allowed to remain open. So what is Paul trying to get at? Paul wants to remind you and I that this battle that we are in, the face of the enemy, it's not one particular face. We are talking about the whole host of of spiritual opposition. We're talking about the whole host of Satan and his demons all coming against us. And it is ideological, which means that they are going to try to say, well, what about this theory? What about that theory? It's philosophical about what do you know? Uh, What about this economic plan? Or what do you think about this way of ordering our society? It's theological questioning what we believe about God and where we hold to what God says is true and what God says is not true. And these forces come. He talks about these rulers. He talks about these authorities. He's talking about the cosmic powers of this present darkness. He wants to remind us that this enemy is both spiritual and supernatural. This is the battle that we are facing. Warren Wiersbe put it like this. He says there's three enemies to the Christian today. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Warren Wiersbe is talking about how in this Christian life that we are not free. We talked about it here several Sundays ago in Mark chapter 4 about the cares of this world and the desires for the riches and how those things has a way of taking our hearts and driving our hearts far from God. He reminds us that not everything in this world that we think is good is from God. And yet, what do we call the enemy? Foul language? Drunkenness? Abusive behavior? What if it's just enough to get you to stop reading your Bible? Is that the enemy? You mean my job can be my enemy? Sure. I have an enemy every single morning called the alarm clock. (laughs) I can't stand that thing, but I don't know if I can live without it. Anything that keeps you and I separated from God, according to what Paul is reminding us, is an enemy. And anything... Satan can use to lure you and I away or to divide you and I or to separate you and I from God can be used as an enemy against us. The notifications on your phone. The obligations that you've made to one another. We are so, so naive 
how Satan uses us against ourselves. So he draws into this language here. Paul draws into this language to say, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This isn't a personal thing. It isn't just a physical thing. This isn't just one of those things that you and I just need to eat better or or exercise more. It's not just that we need to go to sleep earlier. We need to understand that there is this battle that is taking place all around us. And so Paul brings us our attention back. He's been talking about the home and the family and the church and all those things. But he says, oh, I want you to remember. When you walk out of this door, you're in a battle. When you walk in this door, you're in a battle. Why do you think this is the most sleepiest time of your week? Why do you think that on a Friday night, we can be screaming with an internet connection, and Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, the internet connection goes blue? Why do you think that it seems like you don't have as much to do on a Monday as you have to do on a Sunday? Because the battle is both out there and in here. And so Paul wants to remind us the place of security, the source of security, the face of the enemy. But then this final thing, and we'll, we'll be done <laughs> 10, 15 more minutes. The, the schemes of the enemy. He wants to remind us of the schemes of the enemy. So he, he ends this as he's talking about in verse 12. The cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So it's important for Paul to communicate to us not just who the enemy is and how we identify who the enemy is, but it's also for for him to communicate to us what the enemy's trying to do. I mean, wouldn't it make more sense if we understood not just who the enemy is, but how the enemy is seeking to attack us? And he, he gives it in a roundabout way here in this passage because he reminds us the, in, the schemes of the enemy is not just to discourage, but it's also to distract us and cause us to disregard. Discourage us to think, you know what, we shouldn't have church this morning. Nobody's going to show up. How many has to show up to make it worth it? You don't have to answer that question. I've got to answer that question. Greg has to answer that question. The deacons have to to wrestle with these questions. How many is enough? And if you have church and people don't show up, then you're the idiot for having church when you knew nobody would show up. Or if you don't have church, you're the bad guy because you just now disenfranchised somebody from coming to church. So he tries to discourage us. They try to distract us. So now we have all kinds of hobbies. And now we've got all kinds of little league sports. And now we've got all kinds of things on demand on your television. Now you have something right there in your pocket. I was listening to a comedian yesterday. And I don't mean to be crude. But he was talking about him going into the bathroom for a moment of peace and quiet. And sitting down and realizing he would forgot his phone in the other room. And wondering, what am I going to do now? I don't have my phone. And some of you can relate. (laughs) So he tries to distract us. Or he tries to get us to think that it's not that big of a deal. We just disregard the holiness of God. We disregard the things God calls sacred. We disregard the things God calls us to abstain from. We disregard the truthfulness of God's word. Or there's another scheme that the devil pulls is they want to compel us. 
Well, everybody is doing it. You need to get along. If you don't do it, this will be the consequence. This will be the response. This will be the reaction. You better do it or else. Or a scheme of the Satan will be to confuse us. Well, if they're doing it, why can't we do it? Well, they're having success, so why can't we do it? God, why are you blessing them, but you're not blessing us? And we start to become confused. And when we start to become confused, we start to question the goodness of God. We start to question the sovereignty of God. We start to question the ability of God. We start to question, God, do you really know what you're doing? Maybe I should take control. And he confuses us. Or he uses coercion to say, just this once. Just a small little thing. Oh, nobody's going to know. Doesn't it make you happy? And he uses these schemes of the enemy to try to get you and I to give in to the schemes of Satan. So as Paul comes into this passage, he's warning us. He's giving us a warning against the dangers that we are presently in. He talks about the battle. He talks about the enemy. He talks about where you and I stand. He's going to go on as we come to it next Sunday morning. Lord willing, he's going to talk about the the armor that God has given us that we can put on to help us withstand the battle. But my desire this morning is to emphasize to us as a church, when we think about where we're at here in 2021, we need to understand that we are in a battle. The church is in the battle. The redeemed, the believers of Jesus Christ, we are in a battle. This society is in a battle. This culture is in a battle. And everybody in the room may have an idea of what the solution is, but Paul is going to tell us there is only one solution, and his name is Jesus. There is only one solution, and that is following the will of God for our lives. We cannot. We, we can think it's going to be political. We can think that it's going to be uh, sociological. We can think that it can be theoretical. We think that we're going to come up with someone's going to step forward and to have the answer somebody's going to come some political genius going to come and unite us you know what the revelation says about that that will be the antichrist so instead of us looking for another human to solve the problems that we're facing today Paul wants to remind us that this battle that we are in it will be won one day it will be one and his name is Jesus Christ but until that day comes we can be faithful and we can stand for God we don't have to retreat we don't have to run we don't have to hide we don't have to make excuses we don't have to point fingers we can stand for God today because what he has done for us So how do we know if we're doing that? How how do we know if we are standing? How do we know if we're growing in our faith? How do we know that if we're being faithful to the battle that we're in, three ways and we'll be done. The battle doesn't go away by ignoring it. The battle does not go away by ignoring it. And you may walk out of here and you may think, well, I'm not really in a battle. I've got more problems. I've got pipes at the house that are freezing up. I've got snow that I've got to deal with. I've got to figure out how I'm going to get to work tomorrow. I've got to figure out how to feed my cows. And you may think you have a thousand battles. And I'm going to tell you, while those may be true, there is still a battle going on for the devotion of your heart. 
And it doesn't stop. Satan may not be omnipresent. He may not be omnipotent. He may not be omniscient. But you know what Satan is? He's relentless. And he will not stop coming for you. Just because you ignore it doesn't mean it's going to go away. The second thing is that we haven't been called to run but to go. We haven't been called to run but to go. You think back to Matthew chapter 28 or Acts chapter 1. Jesus looks at His disciples and when He says, Go and make disciples of all nations. He is telling the church to go. Not just come in here and hide. Not just come in here and retreat. Not just come in here and isolate. He is calling us to go. You may get a phone call this next coming week. The nutritional center here in Wellston is shutting down because of the weather. There's a number of senior citizens that are potentially going to be going without meals that normally the Meals on Wheels provides. And so we were reached out or we were contacted this week and, and saying, hey, this is a potential. This is a potential opportunity uh, for it to serve because they're closing down the nutritional center. So what are we going to do? And I just simply told the person, I said, whatever we got to do. Whatever we need to do to fill the gap, that is the role of the church. To minister into the community and to minister to the people in need. That is what we are to do. We are to go. You mean it's more than just a Sunday morning routine? Yes. Yes. Try playing basketball for one hour a week and see how good you are. Try eating for one hour a week and see how full you are. Try sleeping for one hour a week and see how rested you are. Try working for one hour a week and see how much money you have. Why do we think that we can give God an hour a week and that is enough? But then this last one. When the enemy comes, will you stand? When the enemy comes, will you stand? Paul is writing to a church that is embattled got a certain number of people that have come to faith in Jesus Christ but not really sure what this looks like and, and they're not really sure because they have their old self but then they have this new self that they know they're supposed to be but they're, they're conflicted because they got friends here and they got friends here and so they think that they're going to straddle the fence straddling the fence doesn't work God has a way of making sure that you choose one side or the other there's these people, these new converts, and they're wondering, well, which, which, which way am I going to go? And then there were, there were other Christians that were, that were saying, this is right. But then the world was saying, well, this is right. And there were people that were going, I don't know which way to go. And as Paul is writing to them, he understands. He understands there's questions. He understands that there's doubts. He understands that it's not always black and white, cut and dry. He understands, but he wants them to know that the majority of the confusion, the majority of the opposition, the majority of the problems that they're having, it's not because they've lost a job or because they're physically ill. It's because Satan is continually trying to erode at our trust and our faith in God. And he might use sickness. He might use a jerk employer. He might use a tragedy in your family. He might use a myriad of schemes against you. But the goal is not to try to get you to be an unhappy person or to be mad at, at someone around you. The goal is to pull you away from God. So when that battle comes, when that battle comes to your doorstep, will you stand? You bow your heads with me.